You're listening to Quintessentially Mental, a podcast hosted by Sure Eyes. Please note that this host is not a mental health practitioner or professional, and this podcast is not meant for treatment of any mental illness. Quintessentially Mental, the podcast, is produced and hosted by Spudcaster for Baobalb.org. Hey y'all, this is Quintessentially Mental, the podcast, and I'm your host, Sure Eyes. Today's episode is called, Comes Back to Bite You in the Proverbial Ass. (laughs) I think this was inspired by, obviously, you know, my events in my own life where I either made a decision or didn't make a decision, did something or didn't do something. And it came back to bite me in the ass, meaning, you know, I, I had to pay for it, that action or inaction at some point. And so in today's episode, I really want to kind of look at, reflect on and talk about when we repress or block our trauma, whether we do it on purpose or not, whether we do it consciously or not, um, and its effect on not only our, our mental health insofar as it pertains to the feelings that we have for us, you know, of ourselves and of our world around us, but also and how it affects our behavior, you know, and whether we become conscious that this is, you know, the, the behaviors that we're displaying are actually as a result of trauma, hurt, pain, experience um, that has been, that we've blocked out, that we've repressed, that we that we don't look at, that we refuse to deal with, whether we do that, as I said, intentionally or not, consciously or not. Um, I think it's important because, you know, for a long time, especially in, you know, our colored community, so to speak, you know, we, we have this idea that, you know, we should just bite the bullet or, you know, keep a stiff upper lip. And we shouldn't actually, you know, it's just life. It is what it is. We need to soldier on and not really question what that means for ourselves and how that actually impacts and affects us. And so I'd like to talk to, you know, a friend of mine, her name's Robin, um, where this has been a major theme in her journey and has been has been a major, you know, impact and influence in her life. Um like I said, you know, if I look at it, if I look at my perspective on this topic of, you know, repressing, suppressing, ignoring, blocking trauma um, and how it's affected me, you know, there's always a story I tell where it's not my my proudest moment. It's not my, you know, it's not where I'm displaying the best Cherise. <laughs> I'm not at the best version of myself, but I was, I was, you know, I, it was a time in my life where I had gone through a very devastating relationship. Um, it, I was in this relationship for eight years on and off. And this relationship was marked by, you know, incessant and consistent cheating. Um, I wouldn't say emotional and verbal abuse, Um you know, it was it was just a relationship that, on the whole, didn't serve me. But because of the point that I was at in my own 
journey and where I was with myself. You know, I had very low self-esteem. I didn't, you know, I thought that a lot of what was going on in the relationship was my fault. Um, and so I, I didn't really pay it much attention. I didn't really, you know, think that it was something that needed to be dealt with. It was rather, you know, something that I was causing. And so not only was I not dealing with the, the events that were, dis, you know, that were playing out in my relationship and how that was affecting me, but I was also adding another layer of kind of self-critique, self-hate, self-blaming, all of these things impacting the way I saw myself, the way I saw the world, the way I related to the world, and of course that coming out in quite destructive behaviours. And so the one the one day we were at um, a team event, um, we were at a team, yeah, we were at a, a team event and it was at one of my favorite bars and I felt violated. I felt like, you know, how could my work infiltrate this place that was so special to me as a person, so important to me as a person? How could, how could they violate me? And I ended up getting super lit, like super, super lit, um, ordered a drink, then proceeded to ninja kick the drink off the bar. Um, my then, one of my managers who I was also friends with, and so that relationship was quite blurry, but, um, I, she then came up to me to see if I was okay, if everything was fine. Um, and, I yelled at her, I put my hand in her face, um, I belittled her, you know, I was quite aggressive and just people who knew me would say out of character, out of sorts. And and this trend in my behavior, you know, displayed itself at numerous points throughout my journey where I didn't realize or was again failing to see that because of my repressed anger because of my you know suppressed emotion and trauma I was acting out you know I was violent I was aggressive I was you know displaying characteristics that would that people would not even use to describe me um and so, and so it became important. And I, and I hope through this discussion with Robin, we're able to really look at, you know, the effect of repressing um, trauma and what that does to our overall mental health and how we can perhaps be a bit more proactive um, in this instance of our journey. Join us after the ad break when we continue the conversation. This is a Spudcast, a podcast from baobalb.org. Welcome back to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast hosted by Shurais. So we'll take, we'll take this discussion to the next level as Robin joins us. Um, I'm joined by one of my, a very, very good friend of mine, Robin. Um, hey, Robs. Hey, Shurais. <laughs> How are you? So awkward. I'm good. I'm Why are you really awkward? Well, you know. Friend, we've 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 done we've done radio things before together though. 
I know, but never like from different rooms, you know. This is true. Thanks, COVID. This is true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than COVID, I'm really good. <laughs> Other than that small pandemic thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the minor detail. Craziness. But um, <laughs> thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. I'm so happy you're doing this podcast. I know that you've been on your mental health journey and healing journey for a while now. Um, and I have been too. So I think it's good for us to to chat about this. And yeah, the more people know and the more people are aware of these issues, I think the easier it is to kind of face them. Yeah. And I think, thank you for saying that. I think it. I've always been a very, uh, what's the word? I don't know, like super out there person, right? So like none of my issues are a secret, <laughs> which I'm sure people in my life are like, we wish they were. <laughs> but I think the more we talk about things, the more we normalize it, the more we create opportunities just to be real and have open, honest conversations. I think the easier it'll become to kind of deal with these challenges, right? Because I don't think, I don't think it's going anywhere. It's not like smallpox. I don't think all COVID. It's not like we're going to, I don't know, maybe we will reach that point. I don't know. But from my observation, I don't think we're going to be able to eradicate mental illness per se. And so some of it is very much biological, right? So, and that's not something, and like, you know, I don't think we can totally eradicate. And so I think it does need to become as normal as talking about diabetes or, you know, any other kind of physical illness that we've gained more comfort with. I think it's interesting that you said that because um, this article I read recently mentioned that, you know, never before in human history has there been such a collective um, depression, anxiety, or, you know, state of mental health issues because we've just gone through the roof, of course, now with COVID. They were bad before. And um, all of the doctors and scientists are kind of just waiting and watching to see what will happen in the next few years after it's all compounded. So it's like an interesting time for mental health as well. Yeah. So I think it is, I mean, I think it's, it's not great, you know, COVID's not great, but I think the opportunity that it presents to amplify the voice and conversation around mental health, I think that's great. Mm. Um, I agree. Yeah, but before the break, um, I was kind of just introducing the episode and, you know, I, I titled it comes back to bite you in the proverbial ass, you know, we, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where we, we almost don't deal with things or we suppress or repress whether it's trauma, whether it's a particular experience, whether it's our childhood, whether it's just something that happened the other day, whether it's a feeling, you know, whether we do it consciously or not, you know, this idea of ignoring a problem and then having it come back to just like bite us in the ass. And I thought this might be, you know, an interesting topic for you to shed light on given your journey. Um, And so maybe, I don't know, maybe exposure dollar. (laughs) You're giving me exposure dollar. (laughs) (laughs) So what am I getting out of this interaction? Uh, Exposure. (laughs) Because it's definitely not compensation, friend. (laughs) 
can, you know, maybe you can share a bit, you know, how how your mental health journey started. So, like, what was the point that you thought, okay, I have an issue that I'm going to now consciously start managing? Um, it actually happened during COVID, funny enough, because, well, I guess I have this really long history of repression of issues in my life, which came, I mean, which stemmed from, you know, as a child, growing up in the environment that I did, I was, um, I had this condition called selective mutism. And even up until last year, I mean, I knew what was happening. I knew um, what was going on in my life, but I didn't know at all that this was actually a, a mental health issue um, and a challenge that lots of people have had. And I accidentally stumbled upon it when I was reading about these things, you know, and, you know, as I started my journey with therapy. So um, because of, you know, selective mutism essentially is when you block out or repress um, certain events or feelings, emotions, um, traumatic events. And then, you know, after you just kind of stop engaging with <laughs> the world and, you don't talk to people. And for me, I was during, I think, the ages of about 7 to 12, 13. I just didn't speak to most people in my life at school. They thought I was mute. Like, it was extreme to that point. You know, teachers didn't even think I could speak. I wouldn't go up to do my school oral. And I knew, I knew these things were happening. And... I guess when I switched over into high school, I, there was a point where I was like, okay, um, I've been doing this thing for years now, and I recognize it within, within myself. My parents didn't even know about it, but I made a conscious choice then to, you know, try to begin to normalize in a way and start talking to people, interacting, you know. And over years, I became more and more myself, more comfortable with social interactions. And I thought, you know, that was the end of it. Yeah. And I was healed and I've been dealing with my issues and, um, you know, I can talk to people, I can go in a crowd and things are fine. And last year when COVID hit, um, drum roll, um, they were, I just already being a person who is very withdrawn and inward and as people would say, like an introvert. For me, it was always good to have alone time or, you know, being away from the crowds and away from people. And I could deal with that quite well. But then actually when COVID hit, like I felt the complete opposite way. It was so strange because this thing that had comforted me for so long was just like the worst thing in the world. And I very quickly became super anxious about everything. Um, I was really struggling. Decided to start therapy like a month into like the lockdown being imposed here in the USA. And yeah, that's really where my, my journey began, where I started facing the issues, recognizing what it was and yeah. eventually learning how to deal with them. And I mean, 
now, almost a year later, I'm still, you know, figuring my way around things and how to healthily actually confront these things. Yeah, I think I think it's it's important that you mentioned, you know, this idea that you know, for a certain period in your life, you said from, you know, maybe five years or so, you didn't speak to anyone or most people in your life. And then when you started high school, you decided, okay, let's try again. And then because you no longer displayed that behavior that was seen to be problematic, you thought that, oh, everything's fine now, not realizing that the behavior was actually just a symptom and not the root, right? Exactly. And then having, you know, and I think that's the thing. We, we, or at least this is my opinion, right, is we tend to deal with the behavior as opposed to what that behavior is a, is a symptom of, you know. Oh, absolutely, and, and I agree have, with that. We have these moments of, like, catalyst. So in my, I mean, you've, you, we've known each other for a very long time. So, you know, you know, my catalyst back in, you know, 2014, 13 was more the, the end of a relationship. Whereas your catalyst was, you know, the, the seclusion because of lockdown and that yeah. forcing you and that, and because you like, and because of that, like you didn't stop speaking to people, right? So it's not like, you displayed the same behavior that was identified as a problem, but it you it triggered something that was the same issue that you felt was an issue back then. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I agree with you. And then, you know, as, as I went through my journey with therapy, I was actually, I came to like a lot of realizations about myself and, you know, why I was doing these things and, you know, why I was behaving this way and the reasons why I actually repressed so many things and then so I guess, getting to the root of those issues. Yeah, I, I think took a while. But. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep taking a while, right? I think if I think about Shrek, <laughs> if I think <laughs> about the, a line from Shrek where he's like, ogres are like onions, we have layers, you know, and I think it's it's not just for ogres. I think it's human beings, you know. Um, I guess one of the things that I, I want to ask you that I've never asked you before, and I don't know how comfortable you're going to be answering it like in this context, um, why did you repress it? Why did you, for lack of a better word, you know, ignore it? Mm. Why did you, like, just not deal with it? Um. Did you know, I guess before we get there, did you know you were repressing it when you were repressing it? I didn't think of it as repressing. I knew why and I knew the circumstance that led to that behavior, but I didn't think of it as repression up until recently when I started to learn about this condition and how I dealing with things um and really the the things that have caused me to you know behave in that way was really traumatic events that happened over a series of years you know um and as you'll know this like 
when traumatic events happen to your people, especially like when you're a little child and you don't know how to deal with it, sometimes you just block them out, you know, and yeah. you don't know how to deal with it or you don't speak to people and you just kind of lock it away and that's that. Or sometimes yeah. maybe it's not safe to speak about it, you know, you're afraid of what might happen to you, what might happen to the people involved. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a mix of things. Yeah. It's funny you say that because in my very early childhood, um, my parents had a very abusive, like physically abusive relationship. And my way of like blocking it out then, and I also didn't, I, it's like the penny's just dropping now. My way of blocking it out then was I'd make up stories at school about my home situation. So like, I'd just like make up the wildest. I can't even remember any of the stories now, but it's like, I would just come up with the craziest stories about like my family and like our context or what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that was my way of blocking it out. And it reached a point where, when it was something I used to pride myself on, right? We had reached a point when I was in high school and university where I could physically block out, um, noise around me right and that I didn't realize that was like my trauma response to the violence that I was subjected to at home in my early childhood but it's like I could literally be doing something in the busiest environment and not have any awareness of my environment you know and just be mm -hmm. able to block out the noise or block out what was happening, you know, because mm. I was just, I was just able to do it. And sometimes it served me well. So like when I worked in very busy offices where, you know, it was open plan and people were doing whatever around me, I could just block it out and continue working. But I'm, you know, it's, it's wild that, you know, did, did, did your blocking things out? Cause in that way it served me, right? Did this, did it ever serve you at a point? Did your behavior ever serve you? where you thought, oh, maybe my way of dealing with this isn't actually a problem. Oh, yeah. And I think that the way it kind of unfolded for me was opposite to yours because I always felt like, like in the family context, instead I would just never want to bring friends home. I'd never want people to know what the deal was. You know, it just took me a long time to open up to people. And the way I kind of, I mean, I ha I did block things out emotionally, but in the real world sense, because I was so withdrawn and not speaking to people. And I guess in the lack of that form of communication and relating to people, I was a an amazing observer and I still am. And so I notice everything around me, like where everything is, colors, people, what they're doing, um, I also have a very good sense of people's energies, which I feel like came from, you know, observing and just wanting to always be in a safe space where I knew exactly what was going to happen and I could protect myself, you know? Yeah. These were all defense mechanisms that I learned because of it. Yeah. And just to a large extent, it did serve me for a long time. And there are parts of that which are amazing which I always carry with me like you know being an observer and yep. having a sense of people's energies but I realized that not being able to talk to people and relate to people actually was doing 
me more harm later in life and I was struggling in close relationships because I wasn't doing those things and I really had to learn communication again you know from actually being in relationships having friendships doing things failing miserably so many times um yeah at a point it didn't serve me and I really had to kind of figure it all out it was as if I was a child in a in a grown up relationship yeah and i think that i think that's quite an important distinction to make right because i think in you know in therapies we talk about this idea of the inner child and we talk about or you know it's spoken about that you know it's our very childlike emotion and needs that weren't met that we carry due to adulthood that make us behave in a certain way and i think the way you've just phrased it now where it's not so much you know the child the child in us rather than just the immaturity of our of our ability to have these adult relationships you know and i, mm. I almost see it with myself um mm. yeah and no, i can see it with myself where you know i i also display learned behaviors that i took into adulthood that when you say i'm actually a child in this it's like i haven't i haven't grown up i haven't like mm. i haven't yeah. yeah i don't know how else to express it but it's like i haven't matured in this particular aspect in yes. this you know to be able to have you know an adult interaction Oh, for sure. Like the thing about that for me was that, you know, all of these triggers that you have early on in life, you know, trigger certain um, behaviors in you. And, you know, that's just automatically how you respond. And now that you've moved on, you've grown, like the context is completely different. You know, you have safety, security, all of these things, this life you've built for yourself. You don't change the behaviors to kind of progress with that. And you still keep doing the same you still keep behaving in the same like harmful pattern towards yourself. And you have this belief system about yourself that, you know, oh, I am this person, I must behave in this way. And yeah. these are how I deal with, this is the how I deal with things versus, oh, you know, recognizing that this, maybe there is a triggering situation with the person where you respond in a certain way, but not realizing that they're not actually, you know, trying to hurt you. Maybe there was something triggering but it's you know it's not them who it's not the person who harmed you yeah yeah and i think i think that's the hard part right i think the hard part is realizing that we we need to take responsibility for ourselves and not like you said it's not the other person per se it's something that the action that has nothing to do with us really like most of the time not all of the time but like most of the time that then makes us feel some type of way that we then react to right and saying okay no it's them it's it's the other person it's the situation it's um you know the event it's the trauma it's you know whatever it is rather than what it actually does in us and i think that's the difficult part is being able to see these like not so pleasant things about ourselves in daylight if that makes sense yeah that is it's, hard 
how have you, like, how did you, did you ever blame yourself and be like, or not blame yourself, I don't know how to express it, but like, did you ever feel like, oh, why didn't I do this sooner? Or why, why did I do this? Or how could I have? Like, did you ever have that kind of response to yourself where you just didn't treat yourself with love and compassion? Like, or were you All always... The time. Yeah, yeah. That that was just the norm for me, and you know, like uh, everyone else, I was kind of like treating like gold, whereas myself, not so much. Yeah. And you know, after I, I had a situation where you know, let's say something went down, and uh, like the next day, I'd be, I'd have so much regret about how I handled things or how I didn't do this or say this, and you know, I was really hard on myself. Um, and you know, it, it it takes a long time to kind of just accept it for one and then, you know, learn how to change those behaviors. But I think what you what you mentioned earlier is what's so important is you had to almost had to relearn how to communicate. And I yeah. think that is not only with other people but also <laughs> yourself, right? Like yeah. you told yourself the way you communicated with yourself that affected how you were with other people, how you communicated with other people. And so do yeah. you find yourself, um, do you find yourself still repressing stuff or are you a bit braver in like, I guess repression is more like, I'll never deal with this. It just stays buried inside forever. Mm-hmm you have moments where you're like, okay, I'm going to keep it buried for now and I'll deal with you when I'm a bit in a different mental space. You know, do you still find yourself repressing, I guess is the question. Um, I think a little bit, but definitely not as extremely as I did before, but also the way I like to kind of deal with things is through time, you know, when something happens, you know, I just, instead of just responding immediately with my raw emotion and whatever's on my mind, I just want to give the situation some time, think about, you know, what's happened, break it down for myself and then respond. And so I guess that's not repression in this sense, but I mean, the little things that I think everyone just keeps buried deep inside them. (laughs) Um, But I've, yeah, I'm really just figuring out how to, communicate how to express myself yeah um and how to actually deal with relationships and communication i mean more power to you my friend like it's not i think even for people who might not have a very extreme form of mental health issue or mental illness you know i think it's really difficult to communicate in a way that creates constructive situations, right, in the relationships, whether it's work, whether it's sibling, whether it's romantic, whether it's, you know, and then to still do that when you have an, a mental block or having a mental illness is is really difficult. And so I really take my proverbial hat off to you. So I'm not wearing, you know, me and my hats, so but I do. I take my hat off to you. And I think even just doing this, conversation with me you know I think is proof of your growth and proof of your 
your development in your in your issue you know yeah so thank you for, sure, for like, opening yourself to me I appreciate it no you're welcome like I feel safe here and I mean it does say a lot about my my personal journey as well because I know that a few years ago had I been in this situation I would have shut it down so fast I mean there would be no way I would talk to people about it especially like on a podcast and yeah you know it and it really played itself out in a lot of ways that I wasn't even realizing you know like being on social media but not really interacting or being seen on social media not wanting to post not posting pictures of myself not wanting to be on camera not you know not talking to people being awkward on in a phone call or social situations you know being withdrawn and you know, it's taken a long time to just, you know, see how, how all of it pieces together. And then knowing all of this now, taking it forward into my healing journey. It's amazing because, I mean, you, you're trying to hide less, right? Like what you, yeah. what, you, what you just spoke about now or what you were referring to now is almost not being seen. And in your case, not oh, yeah. heard, right? And now it's almost like you're occupying space in your life, mm. which I think it, it, you, you, it's you, weird because like in your own life, you know, yeah, you're not, it's yeah, weird yeah. because like I'll, I'll present maybe in, in a real life situation to a person that doesn't know me as like, you know, shy, quiet, all of that kind of stuff. Whereas on the inside or once you get to know me, like I feel like it's completely different. Yeah. Um, I'd be like uh, the opposite. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely true in our friendship, right? Like when we <laughs> met back in 2012, you know, we barely wow. saw. Yeah. <laughs> nine years, eh? Nine years. It's incredible. No, we've come a long way. We've come a long way, you know, we... We survived each other. <laughs> Follow my eyes, but don't look now. Yeah, this is we'll that will be a, I think that's a conversation for another podcast, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> Surviving our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Robs, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you'll be keen to join more conversations. You're welcome. Just let me know what's on your mind and what you want to chat about. I'm keen. Thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me. Always. Cheers. Join us after the ad break when we continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to this podcast podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Welcome back to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast hosted by Sure Eyes. I really am proud of my friend Robin Lee. <laughs> um, as I mentioned during our conversation, you know, we've been friends since 2012. Um, and obviously at the beginning stages of our friendship, I also thought she was really quiet and introverted. And um, it was only later on as we became better friends and we started doing, you know, creative projects together that she started opening up to me. And I didn't even know selective mutism existed, never mind was, you know, a re, you know something that people struggle with I was about to say a real thing which is just so wrong on so many levels but um yeah I just I didn't even know that this is something people struggle with you know um 
And so I think it, 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 it brings to my mind this idea that we're so quick to judge people. We're so quick to, you know, decide, oh, this is, this is what this person must be about or who they must be based on what we perceive their behavior to be like. But I think it also is really important that suppression, repressing, ignoring, it comes back to bite you in the ass, man. And sometimes when you least expect it, you know, I think, you know, there there are some things and maybe I need to learn how to do that. I don't know. Maybe I need to learn how to keep more stuff to myself. (laughs) I'm, I'm... If I wasn't such an oversharer, I don't think this podcast would exist. But I think there are some things that, you know, we do keep to ourselves and we don't always share with other people. Um, But I think making sure that we at least acknowledge to ourselves those things that have affected and impacted us and not letting it fester and simmer and brew and then all of a sudden, bah, you know, we're we're imploding or exploding. With that said, you know, thank you for listening and hopefully you found a point of relation. You found something that, you know, you two can um, learn from, not only from someone else, maybe about yourself. As always, look after yourselves, darlings. Take care and tune in next week for another episode. One love, y'all. You've been listening to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast, hosted by Sure Eyes. Join us next week as we continue the conversation about mental health. And remember, we are always perfectly ourselves.